Your On The Mark podcast is loading now. The On The Mark podcast is sponsored by the Sunbury Motor Company, family-owned dealership since 1915, 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia on Routes 11 and 15 Hummel's Wharf. News Radio 1070 WKOK presents On the Mark. It's a chance to voice your opinion on the events that affect life in the Susquehanna Valley. Call 1 800 795 9565 or email onthemark at wkok.com. Now, here are your hosts for On the Mark Mark Lawrence and Joe McGranahan. Her fabulosity has already been proven. Lynn Hall is our great producer on the other side of the glass, so we appreciate her help and hard work. We're going to start out with a guest this morning on the Mark Sponsor of the Sunbury Motor Company. Check them out at sunburymotors.com. I'm you got a Lawrence. deer? No, not yet. No, I didn't I, think so. But I know where he is. I saw right. him again today. <laughs> the one, the limping one that me. ran into my car? No, this is a different one. This is a bigger one that no. uh, walks by about 9 o'clock every morning. What happened to the one that stared at you and then left? Oh, that one-horned wonder. Uh, I haven't heard of anybody else getting him. Nobody wants him. Okay, well, fair enough. They want him to come back bigger <laughs> next year with two horns. All right. Good morning, everybody. And we have on the news line with us now State Senator John Gordner. Uh, this is his last DA as a state senator. This is going to be the conclusion of a 30-year uh, in-legislature career. Started out in the State House, transitioned to State Senate, now into the office of Council Kim Ward, the president of the Senate. John, thank you so much for calling in today. Uh, good morning, Mark and Joe. Good morning, sir. We're going to miss you. Thank you. I really appreciate I'm, it. I'm going to miss the two of you, too. <laughs> I bet you will. <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's right. The, the, the station's lie detector just went off. <laughs> no, seriously. Um, t- tell us about this big decision to, to, to uh, transition early into a pre-retirement job in the Senate over as counsel. Uh, tell us all about that, if you would, please. Uh, certainly was not a easy decision. Uh, was not a position I was looking for. I was planning to serve out the remaining two years of my term and then uh, not run for re-election, frankly, in 2024. But uh, Kim Ward, who uh, became the first female majority leader and uh, now is the first female interim president pro tem, approached me probably five or six weeks ago and uh, with this position. Um, the council position in the President Pro Tem's office has been vacant since Drew Crompton left it uh, back in December of 2019 to go to the Commonwealth Court. Uh, she said, I want counsel to be filled, looked around, need someone with uh, legislative abilities, legal abilities, policy abilities, someone I trust. And we have been working closely over the last two years, her as majority leader, me as whip. And she called uh, first time, second time, third time, talked in person a fourth time, called a fifth time, and was very persistent and persuasive. And So it's sort of a neat way of culminating my 30-year career in the House and Senate, being in the President Pro Tem's office uh, as her counsel, using my legislative and legal abilities. We, I, this is Lawrence's worthless opinion. I just think you were the quintessential legislator and senator, constantly in touch with people, working with businesses, being the liaison, but at the same time striving for leadership in Harrisburg. Tell me about this. When you uh, were, and, and it continues to this very moment, are in your flow as a state senator, being a legislator, uh, tell us about that. What you know? What did that entail for you? How did that make you feel to be, uh, uh, you know, s- sort of a, a superlative lawmaker? 
I've always said that uh, legislators have two responsibilities. One is to be a uh, legislator uh, in, in Harrisburg. So session days, uh, consider bills, consider amendments, uh, consider policy and, and direction of where we want the state to be going. And then the second part is doing uh, the constituent service as well as uh, the community and um, municipal development uh, aspect of the job. And, and certainly that last part, uh, I mean, I enjoyed the legislative process. I think uh, when I sent out my announcement, uh, between 50 and 60 bills that were signed into law over the years, some smaller, some very substantial. Uh, and, you know, then the, the projects, uh, just helping municipalities uh, grow, helping businesses grow. Um, literally on Monday, and I don't think I'm giving anything away, uh, we were on the phone with uh, Gilson, um, the snowboard folks, uh, to assist them with um, some financing in regard to rebuilding in Snyder County. Um, so it's, it's just those sorts of things that are also very enjoyable. Well, John, you've just told us that you're taking a position that's been vacant since 2019. Uh, does that give you any cause for concern, the fact that they've gone so long without somebody in that position that it might be harder for you to, to actually do the job? No. Uh, Drew wore many hats uh, when he was in the President Pro Tem's office, and, you know, uh, probably uh, half of his position was filled, um, thankfully. And it was the part that, uh, you know, I was very uncomfortable with, and that was all of the litigation aspects. Unfortunately, uh, the legislature has been in more litigation over the last two years uh, than probably in the last 10 or 12 or 14 years. So uh, Crystal Clark was hired early in 2020, and then we had all of the uh, COVID lawsuits with the governor. Uh, we had all of the election lawsuits after the November election, and she has done a masterful job of handling all of those, uh, the litigation part. And frankly, that was the part that I was going to be most uncomfortable with uh, what I'll be doing is uh, legislative policy and procedure, all of which I'm very comfortable with. What, what kind of scope does that have with a policy and procedure? Will you be formulating policies or looking at existing policies with an eye toward changing them? Or Yeah, so, you know, I start tomorrow, and uh, two of the things I'll immediately be working on is the uh, impeachment uh, trial that the Senate is required to do. Again, it is nothing that the Senate went looking for, but when the House uh, you know, passed the articles of impeachment, seven of them, uh, the Senate shall hold a trial under our Pennsylvania Constitution. So I will immediately be involved with uh, the process, looking back at the Rolf Larson uh, impeachment uh, back in uh, 1994 when I was a House member. And then uh, every session we adopt uh, rules on the first day of session. So um, dusting out the rule book, uh, looking at some recent changes that the House did in regard to car leases, et cetera. And so those are just a couple of my immediate responsibilities that I'll start tomorrow. Just one follow-up question. Obviously, the, the bigger elephant in the room is who's going to replace and be our senator after you step down. Uh, suppo supposedly tomorrow we won't have a senator, right? Uh, that's correct. And I, you know, assume, Joe, you're throwing your hat in the ring and uh, you're looking forward to head on down to Harrisburg. Oh, yeah, I'm going to be right there. <laughs> no. But you are the, 
I mean, of the two people that I'm talking to, you're the political guy. Yeah, that's true, but I'm not that political. I don't think I can survive. I don't think I can survive what you guys do. Your life isn't your own. I mean, qu- yeah. quite frankly, I'm always astounded at the way you guys work. And people say, "Oh, they don't do anything." Well, they just don't know the job. Uh, and and I've seen you guys sweat and and put out day after day and do more than's required. And you literally, I mean, you're supposed to buy every ticket, attend every graduation, every ceremony. So no. Yeah. Thanks. I'll stay as mayor. I'm happy there. But seriously, well, what... let me. Um, I mean, I'll be glad to describe the process. Okay, uh, I'm good. Be handing in my resignation uh, today, uh, effective uh, this evening, and then uh, it'll be up to the lieutenant governor, who is still John Fetterman at this point, till early January, uh, to set a special election date. Uh, under our law, it says it can be no sooner than 60 days, and no later than the next election. Uh, next election would be in in May, so it could be as soon as uh, early February, uh, could be as late as the primary election in May. Uh, Republicans have a process uh, because I went through that process back in 2003 when Sir Helfrich uh, resigned. Uh, there's uh, going to be a convention. Uh, each of the counties: uh, Snyder, Northumberland, Montour, Columbia, and Luzerne uh, will get delegates based on uh, what the uh, presidential election was back in 2020. Uh, they will meet and they will determine who the Republican candidate is. Uh, from what I understand and, and have observed, the Democrats have a little different process. Theirs is more um, state party based, uh, but they also will be uh, choosing uh, someone to run in that special election. Back to uh, your career in the state Senate and in leadership, I always had a personal opinion that uh, you sh- should have been president of the Senate, uh, if, if not when Jake Corman took over, certainly thereafter, and certainly now. I always felt you were being passed over. Is there any truth to my personal observation that that might be true? Uh, so I've been whip. Uh, I mean, I was caucus administrator Thanks to uh, Joe Scarnati appointing me to that position, I ran for caucus chair, uh, was elected uh, unanimously caucus chair, served in that, and then uh, ran for whip and, frankly, was uh, elected unanimously uh, initially back in 2014 and then re-elected uh, each time other than this time when I decided not to run again. Uh, two years ago, uh, I threw my hat in for majority leader along with uh, Senator Kim Ward and Senator Dave Argel. And, uh, frankly, uh, the growth in the Republican caucus has been in the center-to-west part of the state. And uh, Senator Ward was exceptional in uh, galvanizing and uh, putting together all of the the senators uh, basically west of State College. And uh, Dave Argel's from Schuylkill County. I'm from Columbia County, so we split folks in the east and and Kim, uh, who I ultimately, uh, through my support of, um, you know, became majority leader. So I was very fortunate while I was whip, uh, because whether it was Senator Scarnati, Senator Corman, Senator Ward, um, I was one of uh, three people in leadership that was involved in every uh, decision, every budget meeting, uh, every policy discussion. So, you know, I appreciated them. Uh, they didn't have to include the whip in that, but uh, they... All of them did since 
2014. Well, good for Kim, and uh, you'll be working for your former boss. That's a very gracious answer, but I just want you to know that doesn't allay my concern. I still say, honestly, the state would have been so much better because you're so good at working with Democrats and, you know, just doing what's best for the, the state. So that's still my observation. How did you take that to Harrisburg? You went to Harrisburg saying that I'm going to work for my constituents. I'm going to do what's best for Pennsylvania. Uh, I've never heard you diss the Democrats. You don't. You don't really have a sort of that uh, partisan divide is is part of your motif. How did you do that? Was it difficult to be just a good legislator when other folks were saying no? You got to really pick sides and fight. Yeah, I've done that. Uh, frankly, all thirty years, and uh, have always had good relationships, uh, whether it was in the House or Senate. Uh, with folks from uh, other sides of the aisle. Look, my viewpoint was that uh, every legislator got elected by their constituents. Um, and folks that uh, represent Philadelphia are representing their constituents in Philadelphia, much like I'm representing my constituents in the Susquehanna Valley. Um, when I was chair of Labor and Industry Committee, I mean, that's one of the more divisive committees uh, that we have out there with Republicans generally aligned with uh, business and, and the Democrats aligned with labor. Uh, the chair of the committee, uh, Senator Tina Tartaglione, uh, represents one of the roughest districts. Uh, I mean, she has Kensington, if that rings a bell, uh, in Philadelphia, and uh, daughter of a major labor person, labor Democrat. Uh, and yet we, to this day, uh, I mean, I was up in her office on her birthday because she invited me up uh, to come up and have some cake. Every Christmas, I get a text message from Tina Tartaglione wishing me and my family a, um, a Merry Christmas. Um, and she was so elated uh, when she heard the news and gave me a big you know, kiss and hug. And she's been in a wheelchair since a boating accident back in uh, about 20 years ago. But it's just an example of it's just if you, if you respect that every legislator was elected by their constituents for a reason, and understand that they're representing their folks much as I'm representing our folks, uh, I think it's easier to work together and try to get something done for all the folks of Pennsylvania. John, you're a young guy yet, and so where, <laughs> where do you go from here? I mean, how, long do you, how long do you think you'll uh, stay in this job, and is there something that this might lead to that you're hoping or looking for down the road? Governor? Yeah. Uh, Supreme I mean, I'm Court judge? Turning, yeah. <laughs> 60 turning 61 in, in January, so uh, I, I'm thankful I still run races and, and, uh, and get out there and do things. But I made the commitment uh, to uh, be with Kim uh, for this, this coming session. That takes me to November of 2024, which frankly was when I was going to leave as being senator. So that's my only goal at this point is, uh, and look, uh, you know, we're going to have a Democratic governor in Josh Shapiro, who was, you know, a former legislator. Um, it looks like the House, at some point, it may not be on January 3rd, but at some point, the House will probably be Democratic 102-101. Uh, so uh, the Senate Republicans are going to be the one Republican entity out there. Uh, so it's going to be a very uh, interesting, challenging two years. Well, when it comes to elected leaders being sent there by their constituents, that doesn't seem to help. <laughs> the Philadelphia District Attorney. Uh, he's uh, walk us through the impeachment process and uh, tell us what the Senate's going to do and what the House is going to do. Yeah, well, the House has already done their major action, and that is uh, they adopted uh, seven articles of impeachment. 
And as I said, the Constitution says that uh, if the House adopts articles of impeachment, then the Senate shall uh, hold a trial. So we adopted uh, rules uh, yesterday, and they were based on the rules that were used back in uh, 94 or so when we did the Rolf Larson uh, trial. And again, I was in the House at that time when we adopted the articles of impeachment uh, regarding Larson. Uh, so we adopted the rules uh, yesterday. We adopted a resolution that requires the House to present uh, the articles today. And so they will be doing that this morning uh, during a Senate session. And then today we will be adopting a rule that formally provides uh, Larry Krasner with notice of what is going on, setting some dates as to when he can respond. And then it says the trial uh, shall uh, begin January 18th uh, unless you know, otherwise notified. And the way it worked uh, back in 94, the Senate did not sit as a entirety for the trial. Uh, the Senate uh, set up a committee uh, based on members of the Judiciary Committee uh, to sit and hear the, uh, the evidence in the trial. And then uh, for final arguments and stuff, the Senate needs to sit as a whole and then make a decision. Out of curiosity, uh, this process, how political do you see it being as it plays out? <laughs> it, uh, I mean, the Larson uh, trial was not uh, done politically. Uh, it was, uh, I mean, that was, you know, it's going to be different than this one, but that one was done with a bipartisan vote uh, back in 94. A um, little, again, different circumstances, but... Uh, I, I can tell you that the Senate is not looking uh, for it to be a political show. Uh, they are looking to make sure, you know, and, and here I'm going to make a slightly political comment, but if you remember the last impeachment of Trump, it took about two weeks to go from beginning to end. Um, you know, this is being done very deliberate uh, so that there's, you know, due process, that there's notice, um, and everything else along those lines, and, and that's how it wants to be. Uh, done to its fruition in the Senate. Does Senator John Gordner have any unfinished business he'd like to see the Senate take care of before he, well, obviously not before you leave, but before the end of the session, let's say, or before the end of the next session? Uh, there's no burning issue. Uh, you know, the big issue I pushed uh, for a number of years was the Growing Greener 3, uh, which we were able to get to the finish line back in June. Uh, the biggest investment uh, in, in environment uh, funding in, in the history of our, our Commonwealth, uh, uh, close to $600 million for state parks, state forests, the uh, water, uh, sewer, um, Chesapeake Bay. Uh, and I did it in the Senate. Uh, Linda Culver did it in the House. So that was sort of a crowning achievement. Um, I will be paying attention to a, a certain little roadway in, in Susquehanna Valley um, there you go. Not going to be completed for a couple of years, and uh, the portion that uh, at least one person is very interested in uh, is, is, is that part. So I will certainly keep uh, my eyes um, in making sure that uh, that continues to its conclusion. Joe's mouthing the word radar, too, incidentally. If you can pull, pull any strings John in, knows the, that. in the president's <laughs> office, keep that going as well. Well, John, anything else you want to tell us? This may be the last time I ever ask you that question on the, on, on the mark. Uh, anything else you'd like to tell our audience? Sure. Uh, I mean, it's, again, been a, uh, it, it's been a job of a lifetime. Uh, it's just been so beneficial to me in, in so many ways, and I was that I was able to, I think, get a lot of things done. 
worked with a lot of great uh, legislators and a lot of uh, great local officials, county officials, township officials, private individuals. Um, but probably the last thing I, w- I want to say is my staff. Um, you don't get these things done without having good staff, uh, both in Harrisburg and back in the district. You know, I've had a couple of good uh, chiefs of staff, uh, Todd Roop, uh, Phil Dunn, uh, Josh Funk from Sunbury, who's my current chief of staff, and, and uh, district staff who, my gosh, uh, during COVID, um, you know, the phones just lit up with unemployment comp issues and other type of issues that uh, people were very uh, emotional about, and my staff did such a great job. So, you know, it's just a thank you to uh, the, the staff that literally handled hundreds of thousands of it matters uh, over the years very well. And you haven't said this, but I'm going to. Among the people I consider heroes of the Central Susquehanna Valley Thruway Project, you are right up there at the top. I'll never forget the night you called me and when we were talking about splitting up the program and said, Jody, what would you say if I told you we could get the funding for all the project? And I, I said, I tell people I've known John for a long time. I know he doesn't nip the elderberry wine very often, but I thought maybe that night you were. But you literally put the pedal to the metal with Governor Corbett to get that project done. And you deserve a great deal of credit for all the work you put in on it, John. Yeah, I, I found a great partner in the uh, transport sec- uh, transportation secretary at the time, and uh, you know, maybe I'll tell a little secret here. We uh, I called a meeting up on the fifth floor of, of the of the Capitol. Uh, it's a floor that no one really goes up on or, or sees, but there was a, a small conference room up there I had access to, and I gathered our uh, central Susquehanna legislators together. Whether it was Gene Yaw. Fred Keller at the time, Dave Millard, Kurt, you know, all of them, and uh, brought in the transportation secretary and said, look, we are the first group that are willing to come to you and support your plan, but here's what we need. Uh, And uh, within a day, he said, you got it. Uh, And uh, that was one of the best meetings I ever organized up on the fifth floor. Um, (laughs) But, you know, uh, we had to show that we were united as a group, and I appreciated the, the Dave Millards and the Kurt Mossers and others that, uh, you know, the, the roadway wasn't necessarily in their district, uh, but they knew the importance of it to, to the region. Well, and you talked about the, the phone call you received from the governor saying, uh, yeah. Governor Wolf saying, uh, paraphrasing that, uh, let's make this the first big transportation project as governor, right? Yeah, and that was a concern. I mean, it was approved uh, during the Corbin administration, but everything wasn't done at the federal level with the uh, the Federal Highway Commission until uh, the Wolf administration was in. And as all new administrations do, uh, they put all the projects on hold when they come in to review them to make sure that they want to continue. So, yes, I remember uh, getting that call, I think, in uh, March, uh, of of when his new administration was saying, hey, I'm, I'm giving the green light. Let's go. Let's go with it. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your service, and thanks yes. for being so available to us over the years, especially during the pandemic. I think we probably did updates every four to six weeks or so, so that was very helpful to our audience. And Godspeed, John. Whatever you take yeah, on, I'm just, sure you'll be great. Just in case, yeah, just in case my wife is, is listening, uh, I should make sure that I Appreciate uh, the 30 years of support for my wife and my family, uh, Cole and Allison, uh, Lori. Uh, so many, as you can imagine, so many uh, days and nights and weeks and weekends and stuff like that, uh, especially over 30 years because neither of my kids are 30 yet. Uh, you know, I missed a number of things, and certainly my wife uh, very supportive. And uh, we've been doing some traveling recently and look forward to uh, a lot more traveling with her and paying back some of uh, the debt that I owe her. 
I'm sure she said that you won't have Mark Lawrence irritating you anymore, so that, <laughs> that, that'll be an upside right there. Thank you so much, sir. Thanks, thanks for your service, and thanks for all you've done. Yep. Great having thanks. you as our senator. Good luck. Thanks, Mark and Joe. Yep, bye. Bye. State Senator John Gordner out of Berwick. Uh, catch him while you can as the Senate Majority Whip and as State Senator in the 27th District. Uh, we will not have any session of open phones on this particular half-hour segment, but we will during the 9 a.m. hour. We'll do CBS News and headlines. Then we'll open up the phones to everybody to talk about either Senator Gordner or the issues or the impeachment in Harrisburg, or we can talk about other issues. I think uh, January 6th, uh, tourism at the U.S. Capitol is a subject of one of the emails we have here. So uh, we'd love to hear from you. 1-800-795-9565. Email on the mark at wkok.com. Text at 70236. Mm-hmm. When car repairs get difficult. Well, I, I just don't know. Um, me neither. We get good. Sunbury Motors. More than quality new and used cars, Sunbury Motors specializes in complicated auto repair diagnosis. They can handle intricate repairs and even complete auto body with service open Monday through Friday, 7 till 4. And Sunbury Motors has made simple repairs easy. Maintaining your vehicle is necessary. Finding the time to do it is difficult. Welcome to Sunbury Motors Quick Lane. Open 7 till 4, Monday through Friday. Just walk in or call ahead. Relax in their remodeled waiting room with Wi-Fi, beverages, and snacks. Will Sunbury Motors factory train techs take care of your oil change, tire alignments, brakes, and inspections? Quick Lane, 630 to 6, Monday through Friday, Saturday, 6. 30 till 2. Sunbury Motors, Ford and Hyundai, North 4th Street, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. We take the Mm. mm, out of auto repair. Joe and I have moved on completely. We're wondering who's going to replace Linda Schlegel Coffer. <laughs> We've kind of advanced the uh, dialogue a little bit to who, who's next in that seat. And uh, I haven't heard anybody express an interest in that just well, in case. Well, it's a little early to do right. that. I mean, it's not too early to express an interest in John's seat, but it is a little early to, to start picking the bones apart of other people who might want to <laughs> succeed him in that, in that position. Right. Uh, well, to be continued. Yeah, we'll continue. We'll, we'll talk this uh, talk about this during the next segment. During 9 a.m. hour, we will have open phones. You can call us 1-800-795-9565. You can email us at onthemarkatwkok.com and text us at 70236. Include the keyword OTM. On the Mark is sponsored by the Sunbury Motor Company. You are listening to News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury. WKOK News Time. It is now 9 a.m. Good morning, everybody. News Radio 1070 WKOK presents On the Mark. It's a chance to voice your opinion on the events that affect life in the Susquehanna Valley. Call 1-800-795-9565 or email onthemark at wkok.com. Now, here are your hosts for On the Mark, Mark Lawrence and Joe McGranahan. Greetings. Welcome on board. WKOK's live telephone talk show, On the Mark. I'm Mark Lawrence. Mr. Joe. Directly across from me and diametrically opposed to all the common sense things that I would like to talk about. 
And Lynn Hall is our fabulous producer, taking great care of us, so we appreciate that. She's on the other side of the glass. So on the market, sponsored by the Sunbury Motor Company. It's a family-owned dealership since 1915, 4th Street, Sunbury, routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf. Find more about them at sunburymotors.com. Toll-free line now open, 1-800-795-9565. You can email us at onthemarketwkok.com and text us at 70236. Some holiday scams have popped up in our area. Area in the Northampton County DA says keep your purse or wallet close at hand. Be aware of distraction thefts, email or text messages that are part of a scam or gift card scams. You have to pay to get a gift card or some sort of a gift. Uh, he has a wide range of uh, scams that are current right now, and you can check those out at WKOK.com. AP reporting Pennsylvania election officials Tuesday says there are still a handful of counties that haven't reported their result results from the November election earlier this month. Department of State declined to say who. We reported yesterday on Luzerne County, which has yet to turn over their certification because of their issues with the paper that goes in the ballots, but there's some other counties, too, slow to offer up their certification. The State Senate, as you heard State Senator John Gordner talk about, is taking steps for the impeachment of Philadelphia's top prosecutor. Our correspondent Mark Sims is following that. Senator Joe Pittman says the Senate approved a resolution establishing rules of impeachment for the trial of Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner. This resolution is designed to ensure consistency. It is designed to ensure due process. It is designed to ensure a speedy trial. But Senate Democratic Leader Jay Costa opposed the resolution, saying it's no longer effective once the session officially ends at midnight tonight. There is no impeachment exception to the Pennsylvania Constitution that pending matters carry forward and carry over from one General Assembly to the next. The Senate also approved a resolution inviting the House impeachment managers and sergeant-at-arms to present the articles of impeachment to the Senate, which they will do today. Mark Sims, News Radio 1070 WKOK. And finally, last night, the U.S. Senate passed a bipartisan Respect for Marriage Act. It protects existing same sex marriages, ensures that all states must recognize same sex marriages if they were performed in a state where it was legal at the time, repeals the Defense of Marriage Act, protects interracial marriages, and uh, it does not force force states to issue same-sex marriage licenses, nor force states to recognize polyamorous marriages more than two partners, which, of course, as we know, our Mormon friends used to be interested in. The Respect for Marriage Act going to be signed by the president. I can see somebody saying, why would you want to do it more than once? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I have trouble taking great care of one lovely bride. I don't Let alone know, several. Ha- having another uh, would only dilute the uh, negative impact. All right, 1-800-795-9565 is our telephone number. We can talk about the topic of your selection. Stan's uh, standing by. You can't spell standing by without Stan on OTM. Good morning, sir. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, did you hear the news about uh, how the Congress wants to force the, the rail unions to accept the contract that they rejected by a majority? I did. Yeah, that is yeah. a tough situation. So I'm going to ask a simple question. The party of democracy, the Democrats want to force a labor union to accept the contract that they rejected. Not very democratic, is it? <laughs> no, but it makes a great deal of common sense because we really can't afford to have a rail strike. 
that's not my point, Joe. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, I Stan. Your point, it's my and I point. I understand that it doesn't rail, strikes do no good for anyone. I fully understand that. But the party of democracy, you know, they democratically decided. The majority of the union members said, "No, we don't accept this contract because they do nothing to address our grievances." So, well, but bear in mind, Stanley. Bear in mind that that would be called tyranny. Stan, bear in mind that eight out of the twelve unions approved the deal as it was submitted to them. Only these four complained Ah. about it. So, and uh, I'm for one, am happy that the Biden administration is being pragmatic and not caving to four radical unions, and they're standing up and saying, "Hey, (laughs) you got a good deal. Live with it." Well, I understand, Joe, and I and I, I don't want to see a strike. You know, up where I work, we're, they're talking strike. I don't want to go on strike. It's a waste of my time, and it lose. Nobody ever gains anything from a strike. I agree. But it's the point of it. They've been telling us for the past two years that they're the, the party of democracy, and evidently those four or five unions that rejected it are the majority of. The union members, correct? Otherwise, it would have passed. Am I am I thinking this right? No, I think all twelve unions had to agree. That was my understanding. This part of the process that they all had to agree. Now, I may be wrong in that, but that's what I heard. Uh, and I don't know. All I'm saying is, if 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 the majority didn't approve it, see, and that there's a problem right there. You got twelve different unions fighting for a contract. Mm-hmm. I would think, just my thinking, that you would want all the rail employees under one union. It would make it a whole lot simpler and less cumbersome for such things as the contracts. Just, just my thinking. Well, but this, that would be common sense. And why is it even legal not to offer sick days? I don't get that. I think they, well, they no, offer no, them no, not enough paid sick, days. paid sick days. Well, whoever I don't get that, Mark. Thing? Oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah, it's it's not a universal. I don't get them. I just call if I don't if if I don't feel good, I call off. Okay, and that's a vacation. Well, it's a PTO. No, it's nothing. I don't get paid. I get a hit. We get eleven hits. The twelfth hit, we're out the door. Okay. Okay. That's the way ours works up where I'm at. We've never gotten sick days. Okay. We get vacation days. And it, but you know, it's hard to tell that you're going to be sick to put in a vacation day two weeks in advance is what they'd like. <laughs> right, you know, I, I'm, I get I'm that. just throwing that out there. Now, if you're sick for more more than three days, well, then you only get one hit where I'm at. And if it, if you're really sick and you got to go in the hospital, then it's short term disability. It is what it is. Okay. You know, I, I've worked there for 25 years, and it's always been that way. But. What I'm saying is, the party that preaches democracy and labor unions sure isn't very democratic when it comes to the labor unions. I think they're standing up for the entire democracy and not just uh, the, the democratic <laughs> votes of well, those particular individuals. I think they're standing up for all the people who are going to be adversely impacted by the strike right, who have no dog in the fight. Yeah, nobody wants to go home to the area. Oh, by the, the way, the reason that your stores are shut down here is because uh, I decided well, I'm standing up for labor unions. We're, we're having a bad yeah. Christmas this year because a couple of labor unions in the railroad industry want more than they've been given. And one of the largest financiers of the Democrat Party, Warren Buffett, is also one of the largest owners of rail industry in this country. Do you think that maybe might have something to do with it? 
Well, I think they all have their fingers in the rail till across the aisle, across the board. So I don't think it's just oh, Democrats that are. I would just throwing that out there, the hypocrisy of it. Now, if Lance would call, he may have more information because he worked in the rail industry. Okay, but from what I'm hearing, it makes no sense to me that. And how are they going to force the, the employees to go to work? You know, they say, okay, you're going to accept this contract and you're going to go to work. Well, what if the employees have what? You know, the cops are blue blue sick out. What, what what's the railroad call called? Uh, pinstripe sick out. You know how the, the old railroad hat. <laughs> pinstripe you know, denim. I don't know. Right. I like that. Yeah. The pinstripe denim sick out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so so they can't force people to do anything. They're going to go gather them up with a National Guard at the point of a gun, saying you will go to work, you will run the train today, and you will deliver the goods to the to the rail yards. Well, well, no, if it comes to that, then we're in really deep, deep trouble. There is a Railroad Act of 1926 that was amended in the 1930s twice, and it calls, uh, I'm trying to find the exact wording of that, but I believe the government does have the ability to compel them to go back to work. Now, it's probably illegal compelling, and if they don't do it, they can be charged with something, whether it's a crime or whether it's something civil, I don't know. But there, there is a mechanism, because the government's done it before. I can remember railroad strikes back in the late 40s. Well, no, I don't remember them real well, but, uh, you know, in the early 50s, there were railroad strikes, and the government decided it had to move in and stop, on, stop it. I think it may have been during the Eisenhower administration. And the government's also interred Japanese citizens during World War II, and that wasn't okay neither. So, as I'm saying, this is leading down a little dark path that won't end well for us. You know, well, didn't didn't Mussolini, the fascist, control the train? You know, the trains always ran on time. Yep. Yeah. You know, so I'm I'm just just throwing it out there. You know, I don't have the answer for it. You know, the rail workers have to make the decision what okay. they're going to do and how they're going to handle this. Here's the answer but in to your my here's opinion, the answer Congress to your, doesn't have that right. Here's the answer to your question, and I was right. Thanks to the Railway Labor Act passed in 1926, Congress can force workers back to their stations with a congressional resolution. So if Congress adopts a resolution calling for the workers to go back to work, they can be compelled to do so. <laughs> sure seems anti-union to me for the party that claims they're for the, for the working man in the union. Just well, saying. Well, how about the working man who's going to not be able to provide I, I, goods and I services for his family? Well, yeah, but, you know, so where, what, what, where do you decide? What do you, are you actually arguing that the four labor unions have more rights than the rest of us? No. I'm arguing that the Democrats are about as hypocritical as it comes. Okay? <laughs> as I said... I don't want to see a strike on anywhere. I hate strike. They're, they they get you gain nothing. All you do is lose in a strike. The employee that strikes the company that is struck against, everybody loses. That's my opinion. Okay, they need to work it out with the employees in the union with the railroad, and they and I don't think it's just sick pay. It's that they can't. They're penalized. If they can't even get time off most of the time, even if they have their vacation stored up, they can't get off when they need to. Right. That's part of the problem, too. So they need to work this out with the union. Yeah, I think and I, I agree, Joe, strikes do no one any good. But it's the hypocrisy of the Democrats because they're pushing this stuff is my whole point. 
Yeah, I think this is going to lead to an opportunity for the world to find out how the rail system works and how these workers work. You know, they drive them all over the country in cars to get them at one location so they can go from point A to point B so they have the right person at the right place. Okay. And then they stay on the train for days, you know, and they can't uh, get off. They? Here's what they get. And it's, here, it's here's, quite a job. Here are the key provisions of the contract that these four unions rejected. Under the agreement, new contracts would include a 24% increase in wages over five years and a payout of $11,000 per employee upon ratification. Workers would also receive an additional paid day off as well as the ability to attend medical appointments without penalty. Now, that sounds pretty okay. fair to me. Well, I, you know, if, if I was voting on a contract like that, I probably would vote for it. Just putting that out there, okay? 25% increase is pretty good. 24. You know, 24. Okay, well, okay. Well, even 24, that's pretty good, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've never got a 24% any, increase in anything. But it's that's not my point. The unions, in my opinion, are out of it. Right, it's you're just concerned about the Democrats. By the government to make them. No, it's the government in general to do something. Because I don't know how that they're going to force these people to work. They may right. not call a strike, per se. Well, I just told you how they're going to do it. Out. Under the Railroad Act of 1926, uh, they have the right to do Joe, it. Joe, there are laws <laughs> against murder, correct? And people still do it. So there's a law that says that the Congress can compel them. How are they going to force them to go to work? They're going to arrest them if they don't. They're going to arrest them. So there's authority for them to arrest them. <laughs> Boy, that sounds pretty. But first, pretty there dark has to be there has to be a congr- there has to be a congressional resolution first. <laughs> that's that's wonderful. Sounds pretty tyrannical to me. Saying. All right. Well, you said it. No, they can know, compel that, them. That, so let people discuss it. I that's my opinion. Okay. Because if because if I was working for the rail and they told me that I had to go to work when they're you know, the people don't want to. I don't know how they could force them to. They can arrest them and throw them in jail. That ain't getting much work out of them then, is it? All right. Do you want to work or be in jail? It's up to you. Well, I'd I'll, rather I'll work. I'm just saying. <laughs> and there are some union members that will go to jail. Fine. For principle. But what I'm saying is... Putting them in jail doesn't get much work out of them, neither, does it? Nope, and they get three hots in a cot, which is what they were fighting for in the first place. <laughs> All there right, you Stan, go. Thank so, you so much. You all have a great day. You Think too. about it. I, I don't know what the answer is, but they'll have to work it out. Okay. Right. Congress can Thank compel right. them. It's the power of God that compels them back to work. It's like the exorcist. Do you remember that line? In I the, do remember that. The power line. of God compels but, you. But here's the issue. If the railroads are told that, you know, you cannot, you, you must keep going, and the employees choose not to do that, they are subject, they are violating the law violating that's been in effect law. since 1926, you know. So what do you expect the government to do? It's not going to say, oh, well, maybe they will. We don't enforce the border law. So maybe we won't enforce this one either. Who knows? I'm sure Kevin McCarthy will make sure that the full force of the U.S. law enforcement descends on that recalcitrant union. All right, folks, we got open loan, open lines, 1-800. Well, we got open loans, too, if you'd like to apply. Give us a call. <laughs> yeah, Joe has a lot of money. Yeah, Joe's a long zillionaire, so if you need a couple of two, three bucks, I've borrowed lunch money from him on many occasions. <laughs> right, yeah, sure you have. 1-800-795-9565. You can email us at onthemarket.com and text us at 70236. There's something to be said about a sale with a handshake, a service technician who really knows what he's doing. 
They can explain it in English what the problem is. There's nothing better than having that friend you could trust in the area. That's Sunbury Motors, where you get selection, knowledgeable salespeople, and prices that fit your budget, and more important, that friend you can trust. Welcome to Sunbury Motors, Kia, Ford, and Hyundai. You could shop other dealers and compare prices, but at Sunbury Motors, you get their lowest price promise. They research the current used vehicle market and guarantee their used car prices are the lowest. If you find a lower price, Sunbury Motors will beat it. Three dealers, all in one. See their full new and pre-owned inventory at sunburymotors.com. Pick out a vehicle you like and schedule your test drive online. Follow them on Facebook. Sunbury Motors Ford and Hyundai, North 4th Street, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. <laughs> Are you okay, buddy? Yeah. I'm just reading Tom's comment, which is pretty far out there. He says, my point is, Stan is an ultra-mega right-wing Democratic-hating communist. Signed, Tom. Love Tom. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got Al on the phone. Another call coming in. Go ahead, sir. You're on the mark. Thanks for waiting. Yes, thank you. Uh, on uh, what you guys are talking about, the union, one of the problems with the railroad is they lost a lot of people, and uh, these guys are compelled to work all the time with hardly any time off the ungodly hours and they should hire more people is part of the problem i mean they get plenty of money but what good's the money if you don't ever have any time off or a life to go spend it well there's a worker shortage they do wish to hire more people but they can't nobody wants to work like that exactly and that and they're feeling the percussions because they're cracking down and they want them to come to work even if they are sick and I was listening to a report where they say that's okay in some of the cases, but the guys that actually go out and repair the track, build the track, and all the infrastructure that takes along to keep it running, uh, they work very close to each other. And what happens is they get compelled to go to work even when they're sick, and then they spread it to everybody else. They're just asking them to do things that doesn't make any sense because they don't have enough people, because nobody wants to work. And that's a problem everywhere. And I don't understand it myself, but, uh, I mean, I've been places where kids are still living in the basement making glass pipes, and they're 42 years old, you know? And their wife lives down the basement with them. And the old man's, you know, living upstairs, and different things like that, all over the place. It's, it's just... It doesn't make any sense right now that people don't want to go to work and there's plenty of work. Okay, well, let's look at it this way. The unions are, are certainly have their right to organize. They certainly have a right to determine working conditions or try to get good working conditions for their members. But we have a, an, an overriding interest in maintaining the rail system in this country. There have been times, and I'm trying to remember, I think it was during the late 1877's Great Railroad Strike of 1877, they actually brought in uh, the National Guard to run the railroads, and they that's happened before. Well, that's what they should do this time. They should do that this time because uh, they're not wrong. The workers are not wrong, and and I can see where the company don't think they're wrong because it is a wonderful paying, lifelong career that will set you up for the rest of your life in retirement. Railroad used to be like hitting a gold mine. They should not and, bring uh, in the national I can't, guard. I can't understand why people would not want to take an engineering job or any kind of job that they offer to work your way up a ladder in a, in a position like that. Working why are they having such a hard time filling things? That's, 
work your way up the steel ladder on the outside of the locomotive. But, uh, yeah, the National Guard should not get involved. That is not their job. Their job is to protect the nation defensively. If we were no, being attacked or we were involved in a critical world war, I think that might be different. The National Guard gets car- called on for a lot of different things. Well, what are they fl- they're do not it? supposed what to help with floods. What are they going to what- what are they going to do if they arrest all these people and they don't have anybody to run the railroad? Where are they going to get them? The National Guard. Well, I can see how that could happen. Guard. It's just, it's, that's wrong. All right. Well, thank you so much, Al. Anything else to yeah. add? No, that's it. But you got you know, there's two sides. Like I ever always say to the story, these people have to have a life too. And but they, one thing I thought of is they did sign a contract that says they got to go to work no matter what. Well, then all they can do is really fire them. They can't throw them in jail unless they say you are subject to jail. I mean, I wouldn't sign a contract like that. That's their own fault if they sign the contract no, and say, the, okay, you can arrest me and throw me in jail if I don't come to work what when will I'm com- to come to work. What will compel them is if the federal government decides it's in the national interest for them to continue working and adopts a congressional resolution. And that, under would, have the, to be, that would have to be in their contract that they signed from the union. No, that would be like a law created that says you can't rob a bank. You rob a bank, you get arrested. Not And because someone passed well, a law saying you can't do it. Well, they would have to make you aware of it. You're getting a job here that you can be arrested if they you don't are come aware. to work. They are aware yeah, of it. They, I think they, they know the Railroad on. Act of 1926. <laughs> Most okay, of them well, have been around. Throw their ass in jail and let the uh, National Guard go ahead and run the railroad. And then we'll be like, uh, you know, going all the way to the third world. Okay. All right. We got you. Thank you so much, sir. <laughs> right, Thanks bye. for calling in. Mike, you are next from Millmont, PA. Where have you been? He called? Uh, yeah, conservatism on your radio show was was giving me a heart condition. I couldn't. I had to take a break. <laughs> well, glad, welcome back. Let's see if we let's tone it down a little bit so that you oh, can stay healthy. The track foreman on the railroad for 38 years. I was also the vice president of my union local for 20 years. And uh, <clears throat> people really don't know too much about the labor laws as it pertains to the railroad industry. That's for sure. We've always, we've always been limited in our ability to strike. I mean, even if it goes to the point where there's a strike, right away the uh, the companies apply for and usually get a thing from federal judges called injunctions. You familiar with an injunction? Yep. Well, the injunctions in the railroad industry states that you have to go back to work, and then and then there's a little caveat along with that they, where they uh, it, they they want the two to get together and talk it out and come to some uh, uh, solution to the problem, which is the reason why they do that. They used to call it... everybody knows how important it is for the trains to run. Right. They used to call it Even a cooling-off per- period. Didn't they used to call it a cooling-off period? Yeah, it's the same thing. On the railroad, they call it a junk. It's a cooling-off period. It's the same thing. <laughs> and, you know, this this one union, uh, the union, the one of the unions you're talking about is called IBMWE. It's, it's called the maintenance of way. The way is the track, okay? And when you work on the track, when you work on the tracks like I did for 38 years, the worse the weather is, the more you're out there. Because the worse the weather is, the more important you become, and the more you, they need you out there to keep the switches working and keep the trains running. That's about as clear as I can be about that. Does, do you understand what I just said? Yep, I do. <laughs> That means that means we have a tendency we to get sick a lot because we're out in the bad weather day and night for 12, 24 hours at a time without going home. 
stuff like that. Yeah, I think uh, we're going to, this will be an opportunity for us to get a glimpse at what rail life is like, not only for people putting the track together, but for the workers themselves and and this really just a crazy job that they have where you're you're on. Well, the craziest part about it is the hours. I mean, uh, especially these trainmen, these engine men, the beer locomotive engineers, they call them at 2 o'clock in the morning. They got to be at work at 3 o'clock in the morning. Sit as a fiddle, wide awake, and ready to put in an eight or, or ten hour, hour shift in an emergency in, in a very safe and logical fashion. That's what they expect of them. Right, and a normal shift is days, not hours. So that's yeah, right. most it, people it, don't get that. Uh, those guys that work those weird hours like that, their internal clocks, their their rhythms are all messed up, and that, it's not something you actually really get used to over time. You just sort of deal. You, you can get better. Some people seem to be affected by it more than others. You know, the way people are. All right. Thank you so, so much, we, Mike. Uh, we, I was involved in three strikes during the time I worked, one of which I helped organize as the vice president of my union local. And the only rail we ever had any success with a uh, rail strike was for everybody to keep their mouths shut. Don't let anybody in management know what's going on. Spring it on them. Then it would take two days for them to get the uh, injunctions from the federal judge instead of one day. So if we if we were able to come up with a two-day strike on the railroad, that was huge to us. All right. Hmm. We got you. Thank you let so me, much. Let me ask you one question, uh, Mike. Go ahead. Go uh, ahead. I, I want to clear a lot of this up. Anything you want. Go ahead. Well, uh, one of our other callers said that he heard that the four unions that are holding out have the largest number of members or more members than the other eight. Is that true? Do you know? Yeah, well, ours is the, the IBMW is one of the biggest one, and the, and the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers is by far the biggest one because they, they have a lot of crews. They have a lot of trains. they got to because of the, uh, they have these uh, limits on how long they can work. You're familiar with that, right? Right. Yeah, I know that. Just so like the long-haul truckers. they got to keep changing the crews on a train all the time, like every eight hours. So they, they have a lot of people. Yeah, yeah that's, that sounds relatively, uh, that sounds pretty accurate to me. I don't know what the other two are, so I can't say. Well, fair enough. Hey, thanks for the insight you gave us. Appreciate your call. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Take care. Take care. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, that uh, We're talking about the rail strike. What's your view on this topic? Uh, long days at work where individuals hop a train, and legally, of course, and are on for a week and come back and then get called back again but they have fill to, in for shifts. As he points out, they have to change the crews every eight hours. So, I mean, you, you may be out, you may be gone, because you're now far away from where your home is. You're eight hours away from it. Your, your eight hours is on the train, right. and then your, your time off is on the train while it's moving. Well, you're just not you working. The, my father-in-law, my, ex-father, uh, my late father-in-law, used to be in the railroad, and he, they used to wind up dead, what they call deadheading back. They wouldn't be on duty, but they'd catch a train going back to where they came from, so they would just sit on that and take the ride. Well, and I, I know a fellow who works for Conrail, and his job is to drive four-wheeler cars around and go get people or to take people elsewhere that work for Conrail, he will go to Kentucky to pick a person up from this area who has to get home, who's stuck there, and or, you know, just a hundred places around here or take them down to Enola. Well, I was going to say, did you ever drive going. past the Enola yards? They used to have white 
look like uh, campers on uh, rail rail wheels sitting along the road there, and that's where the people who were on call or who were taking a break, where they where they would rest until they had to go out again. So yeah, we'll get Michael Buzz back and see if we can get connected up with some of these rail workers so we can get this perspective. I, I just think you know the Congress is going to act in on behalf of the, the nation as a whole. I get that. I'm not concerned about that, but I do think that the rail workers have a story to tell that I think the average person doesn't get. Now, as Calvin Coolidge used to say, there is no right to strike against the public interest ever. 1-800-795-9565 is our telephone number. You can email us at onthemark at wkok.com and text us at 70236. Include the keyword OTM. Welcome back to On The Mark, 1-800-795-9565. That's our toll-free hotline number. Email us at onthemark at wkok.com or text us at 70236. But be sure to include OTM as your first comment so that we get it. Uh, Rob says, it's morning. Does anyone know if the Marriage Act forces pastors, mayors, and justices of the peace to perform marriages against their religious beliefs? And the answer to that is no, it does not. You still have to make a decision. As I pointed out on the program yesterday, there are specific things that a mayor has to do in performing a wedding ceremony, ascertaining that certain things are correct and proper. And um, so I don't think it would force anybody to do anything. It's just... I wouldn't guarantee that. actually guarantees the the existence of existing marriages. It doesn't require anybody to do anything in the future. Right. But I wouldn't guarantee that. The fact that you are grandfathered in and you're able to say no under certain circumstances is one thing. But I would think in the future, this may compel some individuals who are involved in governmental responsibility to do so. Now, it definitely would not force any religious organization to do so. So this good listener starts out by asking about pastors. And the answer is no. Well, you're right. I could never, never, never force them to do anything right, against but, their religion. Uh, and, and mayors, maybe not, because mayors have a different code in each community and different... You well, know, mayors and justice of the peace and judges are all well, in the same category. Are, but district justice in Pennsylvania are an extension of the Commonwealth, of the court system in Pennsylvania. They are part and parcel of that. They're paid, you know, a hundred some thousand dollars by the court system. I know, and I know. So some of they them may just, be compelled to participate well, in Well, some it. of them just don't do weddings at all. They're not compelled to well, do them. You don't be, have right. to do them. But again, a lot of that is uh, pre-respect for marriage act. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so we'll see what this does. Uh, again, the AP was kind enough. No, nope, scratch that. Nextar was kind enough to to say what's in it in lay language. They say it protects existing same-sex marriages, even if Ober Ogerfell Ogre, Ogre, is overturned. Ensure that all states must recognize same-sex marriages if they were performed legally repeals the Defense of Marriage Act, which defined marriage as between a man and a woman, protects interracial marriages. Of course, as we know, our good uh, Supreme Court Justice wants to look into that. No, he uh, doesn't. He's married to a white woman. Well, he said he wants to reel back the cl- the hands of time to make sure that you can uh, re-examine things that it you would It wasn't that. His be- controversial remarks centered around, uh, I thought, birth control, not, not around yeah, interracial this, marriage. This and other things. Well, there's maybe others, maybe not just him. Maybe it's some of his uh, new peers there, too. Anyway, uh, it would not force states to issue same-sex marriage licenses if Obgefeld is overturned. It would not force states to recognize polyamorous marriages of 
more than uh, two partners. It would not force nonprofit or religious organizations to perform services. And it would, uh, let's see, oh, scratch that. Okay, it, th- th- this is just a whole other sentence. The U.S. Senate passed the bill Tuesday. Twelve Republican senators voted for it. The Respect for Marriage Act now returns to the U.S. House for a second time. And whether or not it passes there is up in the air. All right. So that's out there, folks. 1-800-795-9565 on the topic of the rail strike here, right, It says, sorry, Tom, only communists would force a person to go to work. I'm not for that as long as the person isn't getting government handouts. And there are many companies that you cannot walk out on while trying for benefits, even if you have a union. For example, prisons. Bob, that's from Bob, and he's right. Uh, Joe, you just said it correctly. The government doesn't enforce the border law, so why would they enforce a rail labor law? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they're cer- yeah, they're certainly not overtaxed enforcing the border. Well, and, you know, well, they've actually been not taxed at all. <laughs> what is the uh, compelling interest? You know, why would the the uh, president? You know, he's urging the House to act on the rail strike. It's funny how he's, all of a sudden he, he wants to use a key U.S. law to enforce, you know, illegal activities. But coming over the border illegally is not one of those reasons. And we have an email from E.B. who says, Stuart Rhodes, the leader of the Oath Keepers, was convicted of seditious conspiracy for plotting to stop Joe Biden from becoming president on January 6th. He faces up to 20 years in prison. At least 955 people have been arrested and charged with crimes pertaining to the insurrection. Many are still awaiting trial or sentencing, but over 65 have received jail time so far. This is more proof that Trump supporters are truly the dumbest people on earth. Many of them went to the Capitol to revolt on his behalf. Now they're going to jail, causing them to lose not only their freedom, but also their jobs and time with their families. And what is their stupid orange leader doing? Golfing at his club and showing, shoving McDonald's food into his mouth. They're getting the consequences while he, thus far, has received zero legal consequences. Real bright, MAGA morons. Real bright. You all got played. Come on. Is that really necessary? I think Van was right yesterday when he said that we had too many too many name-calling people. I think he called out Democrats, but it definitely is a bipartisan uh, dilemma. Well, E.B. thinks that anybody that voted for Trump is a moron, uh, real bright. <laughs> Come on. No. That's her opinion. She's entitled to it. All right. 1-800-795-9565 is our telephone number. Uh, if uh, you MAGA folks out there, if you are smart enough to dial the phone, hit the numbers. Well, they couldn't possibly figure no. that out. No. <laughs> <Dumb. laughs> Poor guys. Uh, not able to, to use the simple phone. All right. 1-800-795-9565 is our telephone number. See, you, if we're going to call them MAGA, MAGA morons, how about Biden buffoons? That's not strong no. enough. He needs okay. something more. Well, Biden BSers? <laughs> yeah. uh, Biden bastards? Are we allowed to say that? I don't know. You just did. <laughs> nope, nope, Biden illegitimate me. children? Yeah. <laughs> 1-800-795-9565. Hey, I want to tell you about the Sunbury Motor Company. Uh, it's a family-owned dealership since 1915. 4th Street, Sunbury, Routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf. Uh, they are looking for some new folks there. They need experienced technicians. The worker shortage impacting them as well. So they're down about a half a dozen folks, but they are looking for entry-level technicians 
who want to be trained or your first job to work in the offices or sales. Uh, they are looking for folks who already have a lot of these skills and want a career change. So please go into sunburymotors.com to check those out, Ford, Hyundai, and Kia vehicles. And they got a couple of the Ford Expeditions down on the line. Now, this is not the Explorer. This is the larger of the two uh, sort of SUVs that are most popular out there. The Expedition's the biggie. Of course, it would have to come with a trailer hitch because it's got a super turbocharged V6. So you get a V8 if you need it. And uh, you're going to get 20 miles to the gallon on the highway. You're going to pay a little bit more. The prices are all above $50,000 for an Expedition. But this is a luxury, large SUV. If you're hauling the family around, you got precious cargo of any kind. An Expedition is the largest, safest, biggest, uh, lowest mileage, but biggest uh, SUV to do that. So enormous cargo area. I've been lucky enough to drive around in one expedition, and it is just ridiculously large, and they would just love to make sure that you have one if you'd love one. Ford Expedition, and uh, check it out. Sunbury Motors, sunburymotors.com. When car repairs get difficult... Well, I... Just don't know. Um, me neither. We get good. Sunbury Motors. More than quality new and used cars, Sunbury Motors specializes in complicated auto repair diagnosis. They can handle intricate repairs and even complete auto body with service open Monday through Friday, 7 till 4. And Sunbury Motors has made simple repairs easy. Maintaining your vehicle is necessary. Finding the time to do it is difficult. Welcome to Sunbury Motors Quick Lane. Open 7 till 4, Monday through Friday. Just walk in or call ahead. Relax in their remodeled waiting room with Wi-Fi, beverages, and snacks. Will Sunbury Motors factory train techs take care of your oil change, tire alignments, brakes, and inspections? Quick Lane, 630 to 6, Monday through Friday, Saturday, 6 30 till 2. Sunbury Motors, Ford and Hyundai, North 4th Street, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. We take the mm. Mm. out of auto repair. Welcome back to WKOK Live Telephone Talk Show on the Mark. I'm Mark Lawrence. Joe McGranahan is here. We've got a couple of moments left. Do you have the short email and then our good caller? Right, and he reminds me of something I had forgotten about. Remember when Truman threatened to draft striking railroad workers into the Army? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so if you can't if you can't rail, then you're going to have to serve in, serve the, in army. the army. Yeah. Wow. But he did not do that. And actually, the Corps of Engineers would probably take over some of it too. All right. One eight hundred seven nine five nine five six five. Harry, go right ahead. Hey, good morning, guys. I don't have a solution for the rail strike. I can tell you that I've known several people who worked on the railroad, and I have a whole lot of empathy and sympathy for what they went through for their job. So. Um, I don't know whether what's being offered is fair, unfair, what they're refusing is fair or unfair, but I can tell you it's not a job that 99.9% of us would want to do. That mm-hmm. I can tell you. And and uh, but I don't know. I don't have any magic bullet theory there or anything that that will tell you it's right. But the other reason I called is uh, I don't know EB, but I and I don't know if you guys do, but I'm kind of confused as to with as perfect as they are and the weight of being perfect on their shoulders being as much as it must be. I can't believe that EB can even walk uh, from having the weight of perfection like that. And I also think that EB and many others should be sued by Donald Trump for back rent because he lives in their head for so long that they they should be paying him for support. It's two years later, guys. Somebody down the line has to say, let's look at what today's president is doing 
and stop being so obsessed over Donald Trump. Yeah, but bear in mind, Harry, he's already announced he's running for the office again, so that makes him fair game, doesn't it? Yeah, he's it? top of the mind again, but although he never again, really left. But, but who, is, who is the president now? Um, we have a different buffoon in now. Yeah, but he's just an older guy right, who's wandering right. around aimlessly. But that's, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but when I say Joe Biden is president, I kind of get some bile in the back of my throat. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think that I don't, I'm not saying that Donald Trump was perfect. I'm not getting into any of that. What I'm saying is it's time that two years down the road, you look at the myriad of failed policies and stop worrying about what Donald Trump did and say this old guy and his minions and his handlers are screwing up what was a great country. And that's the end of the story. Well, I can't say I disagree with you on that. I think that their failure to take care of the border situation, to allow, gosh, just so many things to go unchecked and, and disregarded bothers me tremendously. But yeah, year six of our ridiculous decline continues. And unfortunately, right. we have two more yeah, years. Did you guys notice, too, there was an oral, oral argument with uh, uh, Jackson Brown talking to my orcas, and she was saying to him that their argument about what they, uh, how they interpret the totality of, oh, no, you only worry about whether an illegal immigrant is, is uh, more likely to do more crimes, not worry about what they did. And she said, I have a fundamental problem with that. So um, hopefully somebody can make this administration look at their at themselves and say, look, we got to get some people in here who have at least some semblance of a clue and yeah. change this. Uh, let's just open it up and let everybody in. Yes, she dared, to, que- dared to question the Biden administration. I'm sure she'll be labeled as a uh, <laughs> racist now. <laughs> well, I'm sure. I'm sure, yeah. Well, and I it's interesting sure. that this is being allowed to continue. You know, why isn't this illegal for the administration to do something? You know, the president has to comply with a wide range of laws and, you know, may be in compliance with them, but one of them is to secure the country. And thus far, he's declined to do that, you know, has declined to deploy oh, any any weapon that could seal, help seal the border. Well, and, and, you know, it's funny, too, because I always I threw this out as a joke one time to a lawyer that I know. And uh, I could watch the wheels turning in his head. And I know it's, it was kind of a frivolous argument, but um, there's some, in some way, it would make you think, if there is no crime in illegal immigration and trespassing and coming in illegally, why, as a lawyer, would you not file a class action lawsuit to get your client out of jail for a crime they committed? Because there is now tantamount proof the crimes are not punished equally. So therefore, my client was punished unfairly. I know it's frivolous, but in some respects, it's what we're saying. We're saying it's kind of like the old animal house. All pigs are created equal, just some are created more equal. And that's kind of where we're at with this. Actually, selective enforcement, Harry, actually, selective enforcement is a legal concept. If you don't apply a law universally and fairly, it can be held to be an unconstitutional act. But that, what I'm saying, though, is why aren't, you know, if I was a lawyer, I would at least give it some thought. You know what I mean? I'd probably be be laughed out, but I would just do it to get somebody to think. All right. We got but you, Harry. Thank I you so much. Head, I don't think most people can think. Though. That's the problem. <laughs> Thank you, sir. You may be right. Thank All you. Right. Thanks, Harry. Appreciate the call. Uh, Chris, last caller of the day. Go right ahead. Uh the people coming asking for asylum, the law compels them to accept them into the country. 
is following the law. They're still stopping illegal people at the border and sending them back when they aren't there for uh, coming from asking for asylum. He is following the law. Aren't the Venezuelans asking for asylum and he's told them they can't come in? Uh, I don't know which group you're talking about. Venezuelans? If that's true, then he's not following the law, and he, he's doing exactly what you want. you got to make up your mind, Joe. No, I'm just asking you. You're the one who said it. I'm just saying he's, he's told the Venezuelans he's not letting them come back in. He's told them to stay in Mexico. That's been uh, widely reported. I just wondered how that equates with what you're saying. Well, uh, I, I know what the law is, and they are, they are compelled to uh, uh, let them in if they're asking for asylum. Now, for the, if there's some reason Venezuela doesn't uh, uh, qualify for that, then I, I guess that's what he's using. Well, I think it's he's just but said. But you can't complain. That it's just like those the illegals that the supposedly the... The people that uh, from Texas that the governor of Florida sent up north to asylum cities or asylum states or something—they were not—they were here illegally. They weren't people qualified for asylum for those places. Fair enough. Hey, we're out of time, Chris. Thanks for calling. Okay. Take care. My only argument is we got to seal the border. Got to secure it. We got a lot of people coming over illegally, not asylum seekers. Sneaker inners. Sneaker inners. I like many that. Many are getting captured. That's You're the good a news. Sneaker inner. The bad news is many are not getting captured. You're listening to WDK, okay, Sunbury.